The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. everybody welcome to the on the corner podcast my name is scott chu i am joined by the gracious the tall nick pollock to talk about some fantasy baseball drafts nick how you doing what is happening oh man i the the gracious i don't know but yeah we're gonna talk some uh some mock draft stuff and who better to do that with our senior fantasy baseball analyst scott chu he's been hosting the amas this year he's been creating the hitter list all season long. Uh, and I'm I'm very excited for this because personally, well, where do you think that I mess up the most in my drafts? Well, it's hitters. So I want to hear all about them from Scott today as we continue our mock draft series. But Scott, where can they find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at if the chew fits, if the C-H-U fits. Uh, I, it's probably my favorite Twitter handle I've ever had, and I'll probably keep it forever. <laughs> love to hear it um and give scott a follow we're gonna talk right into it now take a look at the draft board below uh to you know to follow along as we talk about the strawberry we had adam Howe on um last time so definitely check out that podcast as well but here we go you are in the seventh spot you were right next to me um six seven i was six you were seven First and foremost, the most important question I have to ask you, how many times did I snipe you in this draft? Well, like right off the bat, it's hard to call it a snipe because Kyle Tucker deserved to be taken. Is that right? Oh, you actually liked my Kyle Tucker pick. I love Kyle Tucker. Oh, man. Like I I actually on the hitter list ranked him above Julio Rodriguez, not because I necessarily think that he has the same ceiling, but because a good season for Julio Rodriguez is what Kyle Tucker's been doing for the last Mm. like two seasons. Right. Like that's just Kyle Tucker just keeps showing that he is plus power, plus speed, plus like everything. He struggled a little bit with batting average this year, but like that, that's it. And it wasn't even like he hit 220. <laughs> he, right. he hit well. He does it all. He plays for a good team. It's going to continue to compete. He's he's young. He's everything you want your first pick to be right. Great floor. Great ceiling. Well, thanks, buddy. Uh, but we're not going to talk about my team. Only 71 runs, 257 average. That's a major thing about Kyle Tucker. And as, if you listen to the Adam Howe podcast, you'll know that I'm actually giving less of a emphasis of stolen bases. That's my thought on this. 
Um, generally in head-to-head, -head, I think you can do that relative to Roto. Uh, but also, because of the new rules that not only have the larger bases, but also the limited amount of pickoffs that pitchers can and uh, utilize, it will encourage longer, larger leads in my view, and will encourage more aggressive base stealing. Thus, my take on that is those guys that were stealing a lot before are going to not change, but those that were more in the 10 to 15 range of stolen bases are going to steal more and be more successful at it. Which means Kyle Tucker, 25 stolen bases, eh, not really going to change that much. But your pick, Mookie Betts, only 12. Do you see him getting a lot more next year? Maybe not a lot more. I think he could definitely be in that 15 range. I don't need him to be a lot more. Uh, first, on the stolen base thing, I'm actually totally with you. If you listen to Hacks and Jacks, uh, the podcast that I'm on with Joe Galena, uh, most of the time, uh, what you'll what you might remember is that stolen bases were actually way up this season, mm. and because of the rule changes you just talked about, they're going to continue to be up. But it's not up in the sense that there's guys stealing 50, 60, 70 bases. We only had one 40 base stealer this last season. What we're seeing is a lot more of these guys who chip in steals, right? More of the tens, more of the fifteens. That makes it easier to get those stolen bases on the wire if you need them instead of having to do the old day strategy of drafting like a Billy Hamilton. I don't need sure. Mookie Betts to steal 25, 30 bases, right? 15 is just fine. And the biggest thing about this is if this wasn't a Yahoo format, I probably wouldn't take Mookie Betts ahead of a guy like Jordan Alvarez, who I also really like. But Mookie Betts is second base eligible oh, in Yahoo man. for one more season. And that makes him, to me, clearly the best second baseman on the board. Uh, so I want that. Right. I mean, it's it's great flexibility, but more realistically, that's my second baseman. It feels like cheating because it kind of is. And I'm going to do it. I I really regret taking Kyle Tucker. <laughs> if you it's a mock draft going right here, I, 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 I want Mookie bets. 35 home runs, 117 runs, 82 RBI, 12 stolen bases. And even the 269 average which actually is in line with the 264 from the previous year. It still feels as if this guy with a 16% strikeout rate should be better than that. I, it's not out of the question that Mookie can go 290 or, or above um, next year and in one of the best offenses to be on. Keep in mind, he also missed time and he had, I yep, believe, a slow start slow. to the season. Yeah, and really picked it up and still got 117 runs in 142 games. 142 games of 640 plate appearances. So he didn't even hit that peak of, of playing time. He could have theoretically had 700. Why not? You're leadoff for the Dodgers, if there's any team. Uh, so, yeah, second base, which is a very thin position. It is the thinnest, I believe, this year. I uh, Get me Mookie Betts in that spot. That is such a good pick. It's not a seal of approval. I can't do that. It's too early for that. But I am going to be targeting him in all of my drafts, wherever possible. We're going to move past Mookie Betts because I'm going to try to not spend forever uh, on, <laughs> on the early rounds because, I mean, we got a lot to go through. We got 23 rounds here. We have Shoei Otani, the hitter. This is split up. If you didn't know, 12-team, 5 by 5 Yahoo formatting. Uh, two Otanis. You got to have two utility. You have no middle infielder, no corner infield. This is the most standard of standard leagues. They have a foundation for your leagues. Adjust accordingly. But we need to get some mock of this to, to build on. And you went with Shoyo Otani in the middle of the second round, the hitter. Why'd you go with him? Well, first of all, it's another five category player, right? Like mm. I'm picking those up whenever I can get them. The first two, three rounds in terms of hitting are super deep, right? Like at this point in the draft, Bryce Harper's not off the board yet. 
insane. Like, like hitting this this first and second. I mean, I have like a first and second tier, but in other years they would have all felt like first or first tier players, right? Manny Machado also in the second round. These guys that really performed well that we have no reason to believe can't do it again. Right. All are in the second round. Rafael Devers had a, I mean, Austin Riley, they're all second rounders and they're supposed to be in the second round. It's not like they fell. There's just a lot of depth there. What I like about Otani is two things. Number one, I don't care that he's DH only. I've got two utility spots. Yeah. Right. It's the same as any other position, right? Like it's, I'm going to, I can have a DH only. Maybe I don't want two of them, but I at least want one. And with a player this good, I don't care about position eligibility that much anyway. Those stats are good at every position, even utility. Right. And I'm not really worried about the flexibility. The other thing, of course, is this strikeout rate got a lot better this last season around 24%. And actually, the reason that happens is because if you look at the rolling charts, which, you know, I love they're near and dear to my heart. Those rolling charts show you that his worst strikeout moments were much better than his worst strikeout moments of years past. Right. He used Mm -hmm. to have these stretches where he'd be striking out 35, 40 percent of the time. And it was really difficult. But as he's continued to adjust to major league pitching, as he went through his second very, very full season, the guy's only missed nine games over the last two yeah, seasons. That's, that's shocking to me. It, that I mean, it's shocking yeah. to a lot of people. That's why I wrote it down as one of my talking points. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the thing with Shohei Otani is that he's he's playing all these games. He's continuing to adapt to major league pitching. And now his worst moments are like 30 percent strikeout rate. I'll absolutely take that when it comes with that kind of power, that kind of speed and a lineup that while the team itself can be disappointing, that lineup still can score a lot of runs, especially near the top. When we see a guy like Mike Trout, when he's healthy, just hit 40 home runs this last season. There's a lot of, there's a lot of good things to like about the middle and top of that lineup. Shohei Otani is going to be there and he's going to play 150 games. Yeah. 11 stolen bases, 34 home runs, uh, 90 runs, a 95 RBI, 273 average for, uh, Shohei Otani in this past season, yeah, I mean the biggest thing for me is that I can't believe that he uh, it, it played in so many games. And to your point about hitters being so good, it's not fair because I think it's pushing back starters, and that's not cool. That's I want you guys to go draft starters so I can get my third round pick of a hitter that I really love. But uh, only six pitchers were taken before the third round or the middle of the third round for me. Uh, it left me in a little awkward of a position that said 21 hitters taken before the first pitcher. And I don't know who is not, uh, who gets pushed out of the way here. Um, it's Jose Ramirez, Ronald Acuna, Trey Turner, Aaron Judge, Julio Rodriguez, Kyle Tucker, Mookie Betts, Jordan Alvarez, Mike Trout, Juan Soto, Bo Bichette, Bobby Witt Jr. was the first round. Yes, I'm committing to this. Pete Alonso, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Freddie Freeman, Rafael Devers, Manny Machado, Shoei Otani, Austin Riley, Bryce Harper, and Paul Goldschmidt all gone before Garrett Cole went in that second round. Is there someone in that for you as the hitterless guy that you feel like, you know what, I think that I might go a pitcher before them? If you really need an ace, um, maybe you talk yourself out of like Paul Goldschmidt, who is a bit older coming off a career year. He did. F- mm-hmm. I don't want to say he fizzled at the end of the season. He was just like mortal. He was normal. He was like an average hitter for a month or two, which felt very jarring after he had been one of the best hitters on the planet for, right. for quite a while. Maybe him, maybe if they're like, it, it's probably going to take some kind of injury or role change, which none of these guys really have in front of them coming into this season before I mean I would say there was probably in like the middle of the second round people probably had Garrett Cole or Corbin Burns like on their board or like you know something like that but you know again 
Bryce Harper, who we're now seeing in the playoffs, just be absolutely incredible. How do you how do you say like, no, I don't want that. I need a pitcher, especially with, you know, some decent depth in the top two or three tiers of pitching. Not again. It's not like it was before you where you had these. I can remember, I think maybe it was 2020 or 2019. There were these four guys that had to go by like the early second round. That's just not a thing anymore. And with hitting, we are seeing this really, really strong depth at the top where it's hard to talk yourself out of those guys. I was actually really jealous of people's drafts first four rounds. Julio Rodriguez, Bryce Harper, Sadie Alcantara, and Ozzy Albies. Oh, oh, that's so good. That's such a good draft to start. Anyway, we're not going to talk about Pete Balls. That's another time. We're going to talk about Julio Urias in the third round. You went for your first pitcher. Garrett Cole, Burns, McClanahan, DeGrom, Scherzer, and Alcantara off the board. So six off the board. Zach Wheeler's still there. Justin Verlander, Dylan Caesar, other popular options here. Maybe some Brandon Woodruff. You went Julio Urias. Why did you go Urias? So number one, I'm not worried about that slow start we saw for Julio Urias early in the year. You know, when I was doing the first pitch podcast, I noticed I got to watch that velocity kind of creep back up to where it needed to be. But the biggest thing, and I'm going to talk about this with Urias and my next pick, was not only did I see the skill set I want to see. Julio Urias had a great season, especially in the second half. Very dominant, very consistent. What I really liked to see was even early in the season when he didn't have his best stuff, he was still very good. He was still more than good enough to keep in my lineup. And I know you talk about this a lot with uh, building your rotation. You want guys that you never consider dropping, that you're never skipping starts on. Julio Urias is one of those guys because now I know that even if the velocity is down for a little bit for whatever reason, he's still a guy that I can roll out there and, and win weeks or move up in my standings because that's the kind of talent he has. And Again, we got to see what happens when he has all his stuff working and he's like a two ERA pitcher for like the whole second half. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Uh, Beginning of the year, I was a little scared about Arias because the velocity was down. It was down to 91.4 in the first start, 92.3. It took him a while to get back to 93 miles per hour and that was on May 9th. And then he pretty much held that for the rest of the way, even showcased 94 um, in August. And it felt fine after that. Uh, He did dwindle by the end at times it was 91.8 on the 22nd of september 92.3 uh in uh september as well um on the 17th i'm not too worried about it i think his four seamer is fantastic i think his curveball is even better and the changeup, despite not being the greatest cw pitch just 21 percent a low strike rate 58 percent it gets a lot of outs and it limits hard contact a ton. 17% hard contact on that pitch is really nice to hear or to see 40% O-swing on it. It's an effective mix pitch um, that gets him out and it's how he can get through games. The biggest pushback I have about Urias and the reason I was really tough on uh, knowing where to rank him, he doesn't go very long into games. Only 84 pitches per game, uh, 5.6 innings per game uh, for, for Urias. Not, not the same as a lot of the stalwarts around here, uh, like Zach Wheeler, for example, who it's 175 innings for Urias. Wheeler pushing over 200 in a typical healthy year. You can say what you want about the shoulder, and I understand that argument against him. Uh, but just on a per game basis, maybe the 17 wins are still there because he's on the Dodgers and he's just always going to be in that situation. He'll still have that defense behind him as well um, to keep that Babbitt low at 229. Maybe not, but not above 280 or so in all likelihood um it, it's good it i don't what to, i know it's so so strange for me to say with a guy who has a 216 era and a 0.96 whip last year 24 percent k rate it just oh, it never quite feels like 
that fist pump in the air. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think in a quality start league, there's a lot more debate for me about him. You know, it was him and Zach Wheeler for me. I knew they, you know, if I pick one, I don't get the other. I chose Urias, but, you know, in a quality start league, I, I definitely go Zach Wheeler there probably. But in a league that doesn't use quality starts, it uses wins. I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's weekly. I can get, you know, I can make up some of those innings, I think. Mm. Right. And the wins are always going to be there. Like, yeah, the Phillies are good or whatever, but he plays for the Dodgers. They win boatloads of games during the regular season. That's just right. what they do. It's their brand at this point. So, so I felt like I can I can get everything. And if the innings are a little short, I can get those. I can make those up that last 25 innings. Right. I can find a way to get that with the quality of inning I'm getting from Julio years. Again, even when the stuff's not always there, the production always was. Yeah. 166 strikeouts uh, on the year. Urias, I think is is something that I'm taking more note of. I've been very against Dylan Cease, but I am going to acknowledge that he had over 200 strikeouts. He did really well with that. Uh, Aaron Nola was my pick in the fifth round because he had about 230 of them. And uh, we can talk about strikeout rates a lot, but you need to have volume uh, of innings to express those strikeout rates a lot. And Strider had more strikeouts, of course, than than Urias. Pretty much 200 strikeouts, which is just insane. Um, and Arias had just 166. So it is something I'm thinking about. But the quality of inning of, of E-Ray and Whip is still going to be really good. Maybe he can get the striker rate back. I'm not against this. I think this actually might be even where I have him ranked. Maybe one past Wheeler. Uh, I should know these things. Uh, <laughs> I have him at six, apparently. Okay. I Oh, right, right. I have him because DeGrom is lower and so is Scherzer and all the injury stuff. I get myself. I understand why I do things. Um yeah, I don't I don't think I'm going to be drafting Urias. I think that's that's it's like I just avoid this. Uh this whole shenanigans. I'm going to stop talking. We're going to go to the next pick, which is the fourth round. <laughs> Alec Manoa. Uh and why did you go Alec Manoa in the fourth round? And this is a plus content we're making. Right oh here, my man. gosh! I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled, guys. I'm doing this a month after I wrote these ranks, and I've already forgotten the exact order of them. It's been um, like two I weeks for me, and I definitely have mine up just in yeah, case I have to reference them. I right, don't remember, but it, it, I mean, I knew it because we have it on our player page. The uh, the list of it. it it's. Uh, I'll put it this way: I, I think it's not important in my head. Like I have them tiered up and everything like that. It's McClanahan, Wheeler, Urias nailed it. By the way, that I had Wheeler above. Um, DeGrom, Woodruff, Scherzer. Right. That makes sense. So it's just about it's just about the strikeout volume. I believe with McClanahan, I believe with Wheeler more. I don't think the shoulder stuff. I mean, there was a little bit more at the end of the year, but I think you're pretty good to go with Wheeler. Um, Arias is just that weird. Strikeouts. I mean, you need to get that volume that you trust, but you're not wrong. You're never not going to start Arias and that feels good. Alec Manoa, we're going back to that. Let's do it. Yeah. Hit me. And and same philosophy here, right? I'm never not going to start Alec Manoa. He had, and he in fact, never gave up more than four runs in any start this season. And he only did that four times, right? Everything else was, I mean, he never went less than five innings. He, I mean, he always pitched. Yeah. The fastball and slider. I mean, you mentioned this in your rankings as well. He he doesn't have, he didn't get the whiffs that I think we hoped for. We, we kind of wanted growth and have him get more whiffs. And really we saw it kind of go to the other way. He got fewer whiffs. But again, even when he didn't always have his best stuff, even when he wasn't getting the swings and misses we thought he'd get, all the results were there. You never worried about Manoa messing up your week, right? Coming out of a year where I do a lot of weekly, you know, a lot of head-to-head leagues, 
there were so many times I had a guy who just ruined my week, right? On Wednesday, my pitching was like screwed, right? Like that, that happens sometimes, but that's never because of Alec Manoa, right? Because Alec Manoa always gave you five innings and he always kept the run scoring at a minimum every time. Did the strikeouts always give you what you want? Not always, but the reliability and durability was there. Now, believe it or not, despite having a lower strikeout rate, 23%, uh, as opposed to 24% with Urias, 196 innings, that means that you have more strikeouts with Manoa, uh, 180. And thank the sinker for the the limited uh, whip and ERA. Quick outs with that pitch, 35% O-swing. The league average is 27% on sinkers. He really does a great job against right-handers, jamming that pitch inside. 20.5% 20.5% hard contact rate is nothing to laugh about. 32% is the average on a sinker. And to see 20.5 is fantastic. That is such a good sinker. It's a huge part of his success. Just under a 70% strike rate with it too. So he constantly got strikes with it. The slider didn't get as many whiffs as I'd want. Uh, it's about 16% for Manoa slider, but 15% hard contact rate. And the four-seamer, Still actually didn't get as many whiffs as he used to, 17% in 2021, 14% in 2022 from Noah. And his four-seamer hard contact went way up. It wasn't as good of a four-seamer. However, it helped with his uh, overall hard contact, still above average, or below average, I should say, in a good way. 31% is the average and 26%, which means he has the 16th best hard contact rate among all starting pitchers. And he went 197 innings, and he had a really good ERA and whip. And I think the strikeout rate can go higher. I love Alec Manoa. You should love him too. Good pick. Not, Thank not you. a seal of approval, but good pick. <laughs> I would have gone, I would have gone Aaron Nola or Carlos Rodon, but still, I mean, like if you can consistently get Manoa fifth round, I don't know where you're going to be able to, I don't know where he's going to ultimately fall. It is, it is startling to me though. I think there is a, a higher volume of starting pitching options through the sixth round than there usually is. Um, like Musgrove went in the sixth, Darvish went at the end of the sixth. It's like, oh man, well, this is, this is great. This is like my dream right now. If I could get Aaron Ola in the fifth, you can probably get Alec Manoa as your SP one in the fifth round is what I'm assuming, but we don't know. Um, this draft went a little bit earlier than I expected with Scotchy, but can't go wrong with that one. Adolis Garcia, Adelis, I should say fifth round. And I was surprised that he had such a good season. Um, Garcia, had 27 home runs, 101 RBI, 88 runs, and 25 stolen bases with a 250 average. Essentially replicating uh, or what we were hoping from after 2021 of 31 home runs and 16 stolen bases. He stole more, slightly fewer home runs. But this is, is this just who he is now, Chu? So here's the thing with Adelise Garcia. A lot of people are going to point to the fact that he does swing and miss a lot. He chases things a lot. It's going to remind you a lot of like peak Javier Baez where swings at everything, but the hand-eye coordination is still so good that he makes a lot of good things happen when he makes contact, right? He's not up there to take a walk at all, right? They pay him to put his bat on the ball and that's what he tries to do. Uh, He does strike out a little bit more, but what I really like is at least for now, This is a 30-20 player for me. 30 home runs, 20 stolen bases. And yeah, it might end up not being quite those numbers like we saw this last season. But if he gives up, if he has a few less home runs, that means he's stealing a few more bases because he didn't trot around all of them when he hit it, Mm. right? If he stops at first, he might go to second. This is a 
this is a player who I really like, who I think is going to be undervalued. I might've been able to wait here because I think the perception around Adelise Garcia is a lot worse than the reality. I think people, they're always waiting for that bottom to fall out. And yeah, sure, it could. But I don't think that's going to happen in 2023. I think he's going to continue to produce a lot. I mean, just across the board stats, hitting at the top of a lineup that, you know, is very top heavy with him and Semyon and Nate Lowe, who we're going to talk about in a second. But, you know, I think why would we possibly talk about him in a second? (laughs) So so I think there's a lot there, you know, and I think if if I had to do it again, I might have seeing if I could wait for a round, but that's the hard thing about doing these early mocks is I don't have ADP to tell me how much right, everyone no else reference likes a point. player. Yes, absolutely. Right? I don't know how much you all like them. I know how much I like them. And I know Adelise Garcia to me is a borderline top 10 outfielder. So I mm. got him in this round and I felt really good about it. Yeah, it's the 27% strikeout rate that I think is going to scare a lot of people. At least he brought it down. Actually, it's 28%. He brought it down from 31% in 2021. But, you know, he, he's in the middle of that lineup. Uh, he's batting third and fourth constantly for the Rangers. And it seems like this is two straight seasons of this. This is over 1,200 plate appearances of this performance. Feels like it's somewhat legit. 50th in the majors in hard contact rate at 31%. That is based on plate appearances. So him walking less essentially helps in that way. Uh, it's just based on the batted ball mark. So you probably will see higher uh barrel rates uh than like hard hit rate relative to our hard contact rate 12 percent barrel rate relative to the league average 7.4 doesn't surprise me at all yeah i i mean i get it i feel like people are gonna attribute this to something along the lines of like joey gallo ish ah i feel like there's someone in my head that is like a home run stolen base guy from old days that had a low average um oh come on it's right there it's like the like curtis granderson um is yeah. that right yeah is but I, I just don't see i mean the thing with adelise garcia right now is that he one like those joey gallo guys he doesn't he's not walking a ton so he's not sure. artificially yep. Yep. sort of getting himself on base in terms of batting average he really okay. is putting wood on the ball to get on base and he makes mm-hmm. a lot of pretty good contact it's not always elite contact but again, he makes a lot of contact and right. putting putting the ball in play. Good things will happen. There's a reason he's got enough speed to be a 250 hitter and that strikeout rate of, you know, 28 percent. I really don't start to worry that much until you start getting above 30. Mm-hmm. Right. Once you once you see that three in the front, that's when you're really like, oh, that's that is too much to handle without walks. But uh, because he puts so much wood on the ball and walks an average amount. That's fine. I'm totally okay with that, uh, especially because most leagues don't penalize you for strikeouts. Right. Across the uh, the the top 350 batters in plate appearances this year, Adelis Garcia's 28% K rate is 293rd. And we're going to move on to his teammates in the sixth round. But before we do, we're going to take a quick break. So Nate Lowe is that Texas Ranger hitter. And I was surprised. Nate Lowe, what, what is he doing here? But he had 27 home runs, had 76 RBI, 74 runs, did not steal, but he had a 302 average. This is Nate Lowe across 157 games, had the 11th best batting average in the majors. I got to ask here, Scott, is this going to stick? 302 is awfully high, but man, look at that plate discipline, right? He used to be this high walk and then sort of high strikeout guy. What you see him do is sort of be like, well, why don't I just put the ball in play more? Again, this was a, mm. a thing a lot of Rangers did. The Rangers did not prioritize walks, right? They let their guy swing. You also see the the White Sox do this. 
sometimes it can look really ugly. But I think Nate Lowe had, I mean, he always had power. And I think he unlocked it by just trying to hit the stupid ball. It sounds overly simple, but sometimes that's what it is. Uh, we saw this, I, I mean, it's a little late now because Yon Mankata didn't keep his breakout, but we saw him do this as well. Be like, hey, why don't you take less walks? Stop taking some of those pitches that you can hit, right? Just because it, you know, it's a little higher, a little low, or a little outside, you can hit it, so hit it. He did. He hits 27 home runs. He has another season where he plays a ton of games. He's only 26 years old, and again, the strikeout rate is what I loved. He brought it down to 22.8%. That's huge. That's how you see this 302 batting average. What's really funny is he raised his batting average by like 40 points and his OBP basically stayed the same, right? Oh, that's he turned, insane, yeah. He took those walks and turned them into singles and doubles, right? And <laughs> home runs. And that's a big deal, right? That's what I want in fantasy. The, the, walk, the, the walk rate in fantasy, it's really, it's a weird thing to kind of go with in a standard league because it doesn't help you as much as you hope, right? Mm. Getting a guy like Nate Lowe on first base is not what I want. I need. I want him on second base or trotting back home. That's where I want him. That's what he started doing. Uh, I really like what I saw there. It really helped him find that power. Look, maybe he doesn't hit 30 home runs next year. I don't need much growth for this pick to work out for me. Again, I'll be really interested to see if ADP has him go a little later so I can wait, but I didn't want to wait. I wanted this player. Now we have, uh, there are five first basemen I feel are just the tier above, right? Yeah, Pete Alonso, Vlad Jr., Freddie Freeman, Paul Goldschmidt, Matt Alonso. Uh, Matt, Al- Matt Alonso. Matt Olson. Matt Olson. I- I'm here, guys. Don't worry. Uh, then you get Nate Lowe in the sixth. Olson went in the third. Nate Lowe in the sixth. The next first baseman I'm seeing, correct me if I'm wrong, is in the ninth. It's Jose Breu with CJ Chrome. Do you feel that there is that Nate Lowe relative to those first basemen is, adequ- is-, is placed in the right spot is he really right in the middle in his own tier effectively in first base no that was actually really weird right so i actually thought that all uh, especially cj crone jose abreu nate low i thought like, those guys are pretty close together for me i like nate low a little more than the other two and mm-hmm. i thought that was the choice i was making right i thought for sure that these guys are going to go because after them who's the next guy you want Right? Are you going to take a gamble on Tristan Cassis? Are you going to take Christian Walker, who might crater your batting average? It gets really dicey at first base, really after these first like seven or eight guys. So mm-hmm. I was like, I need one of them. I'll take Nate Lowe here, um, even though you know I guess I could have had him on the way back maybe. But I was like, I'm not taking any chances. I'm getting my first baseman, and then no one took one. <laughs> it right. was it, it surprised me. Right? I think in ADP we'll see them closer together. In fact, I think you'll see Nate Lowe after Abreu and Crone in the ADP. And I guess all I can really say is that'll be a great value. If you can get him later than those other, I mean, the, the other two drafters got great value considering where I had to take Nate low and where they got Cronin and Abreu. And again, if I could do it again, I'd wait on low, but I still think I picked the right first baseman. I just, I guess I did it a little early. Sure. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens either low falls or Abreu and Crone get pushed up because as you mentioned, the drop-off, Bruce Hoskins is in that mix too, right? Mountcastle, Rowdy Telez, I didn't realize how good of a season he had. Uh, Brandon Drury, you could say Jose Miranda. Joey Manessas uh, is a later one as well. Uh, or does he retain first base eligibility? We'll find out in that Steve Deswelly uh, podcast. Uh, Miguel Vargas, Ty France are other ones taking Spencer Spencer Torkelson and Jared Walsh were two late ones for me because why not? Uh, and then that's, yeah, that's really it. So your options, I mean, it does seem very clear to me. I don't want to trust Christian Walker as much. 
Uh, so Abreu and Crone. Crone seems fun in Colorado. That feel, felt like to me one that I was considering getting as a, a utility spot. Um, I think in that ninth round for myself, but I, I know me, I'm going to be going after those first five first baseman and 12 teamers as much as I can pitchers. What are those? Um, and I, Nate Lowe do, does seem like a good backup option that I wouldn't feel bad, uh, waiting on or getting if I miss out on one of those first basemen after taking Mookie bets, uh, Ryan Helsley is your next pick in the seventh round. And I messed up with closers. You didn't. Why Ryan Helsley as the fourth closer off the board? So he actually start. Uh, he he was coming off of a little bit of injury, and they were really playing it safe with Helsley when they started the season. But once he took over the closers role, he was dominant. First of all, let's just talk about his ERA over sixty four point two innings, one point two five. And I assure yeah, you, they amazing. were not cheap, right? He, I don't know if you can ever really say someone earns a one point two five ERA, but this is about as close as you can get. He was absolutely electric. He doesn't really walk guys. He doesn't give up home runs. He does everything I want to see. He got 19 saves, and he wasn't the closer all year. He's going to keep playing for the Cardinals. The Cardinals are a team that are always competitive. Even if they're not always great, they're always competitive. And that means a lot of save opportunities, right? Last season, they actually entered the year with Giovanna Gallegos in that role. I think they're going to come in with Helsley as the guy because he was one of, if not the best relievers in baseball, especially the I mean, and in the National League. I think it's a great opportunity. It's a guy who showed incredible stuff. I've been following him for a little while, waiting to see if he could really get to the next level. And then he went like three levels all at once yeah, right. last season. Even if he quote unquote regresses, this is still a guy who's going to have a sub three ERA with a lot of strikeouts and saves. I mean, 99.6 mile per hour fastball after sitting 97.4 before <laughs> it's O swing went up about 10 points swing strike rate nearly doubled yeah it's a really amazing fastball 22 percent uh hard contact rate so then he has a slider that he throws oh hey that's a 40 percent o swing and a 43 percent zone rate and a 28.5 percent swinging strike rate that is as bitcoin of a pitch that you will find and no i'm not endorsing bitcoin this is ryan helsley's repertoire he's clearly the closer for the cardinals now the only worry would be that they would move him to be the fireman uh, as he is just such an amazing reliever for them. Uh, but that wasn't the case down the stretch. And yeah, he seems like he's pretty much the fourth best closer out there after Class A, uh, Hendricks, and Diaz. I'm sorry, Hater, you have been ousted to the 10th round um, after everything. I, I do think that Hater is actually a really good discount, but that's just another. There's no way he stays down there. Yeah, people no are going to. I mean, people had such a, a good of... draft. People yeah. like, oh man, I, I I like his team far too much and I'm going to tell him all about it. But anyway, um, I like this Helsley pick. I'm going to give you a seal of approval because honestly, you, you can be doing this, um, especially now. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going on with closers. I dropped the ball and I couldn't resist Stalling Marte. Okay. Stalling Marte in the seventh round. That is, that is ridiculous. I, I get it. it. And, and you make a good point here. Closers are really, really tough. There's there's certain types of players that are really tough in these early drafts. And they've already got real drafts going on NFPC, which boggles my mind. Because we have roles and players where we don't know where they'll be, yeah, right? So there's a finite so number of closers that we know will be closing next season. And then there's other players who probably should have been taken earlier who we just we don't know where they're going to play. And role and situation matter a ton for a hitter. 
right? There's a big difference going from a bad team where you hit second to a good team where you hit eighth, right? Like that, that's a big deal. So they're hard to predict. That's another reason I really liked Helsley there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Stalling Marte though. I couldn't resist. Um, Helsley seems like such a lock closer. And last year we were seeing that in like the second, third round. Uh, now we're going to see in the seventh again. Thankfully we're back down to normalcy and then it'll just revert itself by March. Andres Jimenez in the eighth round. Uh, you have your second base taken and that's about it. Uh, you don't have a shortstop, a third baseman, uh, or second baseman, but, or actually yeah, you don't have a shortstop, a third baseman and you have Jimenez here. So I assume Jimenez is your shortstop. Is that correct? He sure is. He got okay. just, so he won't be eligible in ESPN, NFPC, and a lot of other leagues. But again, I'm taking advantage of Yahoo's uh, player eligibility at 10 games. He's got 18. Right, he there has 18 at shortstop, so I can plug him in at shortstop, and now I feel real good about my infield. He's he's a guy that can kind of do it all. He doesn't post gaudy numbers at any one stat. He's one of these guys that kind of does it all and then gives you the high batting average. The high batting average is the one that makes people sort of it's the hardest one to conceptualize in terms of like how much this is helping you. It's hard, it's harder to conceptualize how much a 295 batting average is helping you versus like a 260, whereas it's easy to see like, oh. 20, you know, 17 home runs versus 25 home runs. I, I feel that difference. The batting average can be a little different, but it's a big deal. This is a guy who gets a lot of at-bats. So that 297 average he had, I got it over 557 plate appearances, even though he missed like 15 games, right? So he has, he plays a ton. Uh, he does it all. He slaps the ball around. He doesn't, and he also didn't ever really slump, right? He didn't have this time where I'm like, man, do I keep him in the lineup? He was really consistent for the whole year, puts a ton of balls in play. Uh, I mean, it's just everything I want. I think there might even be a little more power there as he continues to develop that hit tool. This guy's only 23 years old, right? So I think that that might be there, but at, you know, I think he's probably a 20 home, you know, he's a threat for 20 home runs and 20 steals plus pretty decent counting stats, even as part of the Guardians. It's all there, and I need a shortstop. So it all kind of came go. together. Yeah, Andres Jimenez, 66 runs, 17 home runs, 69 RBI, 20 stolen bases, and a 300 average, 297 uh, this past year. Yeah, I I, I wonder, I, it feels like a peak season. Um, I do worry about the runs and RBI total. Uh, and if that is kind of him destined to be there, he batted fifth, sixth for the uh, for the Guardians uh, this season. Uh, wasn't really moving too much higher. He was at the lower end on the first half, and he moved up as it went on, but really was around that fifth, sixth spot for the most part. Had some days at the leadoff or maybe even cleanup uh, once or twice. But I, I feel as if... Eighth round might be slightly too high. I mean, if you're going after second base filling, I get it. But you already have that with bets. As far as shortstops go, it's Carlos Correa, uh, Jeremy Pena, who you actually go for later. Uh, I believe Polanco and Torres, but maybe not. So shortstop options do dry up. And I understand that under the floor that you get with Jimenez feels like a hint of a 2020 season with a 300 average, regardless of the runs in RBI. Or maybe 15-15, right? Um but it's fine. Um, I think it honestly makes a larger point of, hey, shortstop is really important. And I would imagine if I'm going to tell you this scenario, I imagine if you could go back to the sixth round and take one of Willie Adamas, Wander Franco, Dansby Swanson, or Arneal Cruz, you would and then take one of the first basemen in the eighth. 
It'd be O'Neill Cruz. Yeah, I would. You would take O'Neill Cruz in the sixth round above Willie Adamas, Wander Franco, and Dunsby Swanson. I mean, that's uh, that's that's how I rank them. Actually, uh, they're all go. really close. I've got them all basically in the same tier on the hitter list. They're in tier six, but I also uh, I actually do have Andre Simonez in the tier above that. Right? He really. He was, yeah, those those stats combine to probably maybe a little better than than a lot of people realize, simply because it's a little bit of everything and not a whole bunch of one thing. Uh, uh, and it's not like elite in any one thing. Right. Jimenez top, finishes as a as a top six second baseman. Um, he also gives me flexibility. You know, again, in the draft, you'd notice I haven't filled a lot of different positions yet. So if I need to put Andres Jimenez as my second baseman, because I don't get a shortstop later, which I was preparing for because I had a target for shortstop, who I ended up getting, but I was worried that if I don't, what am I going to do at shortstop? I have right. a way to deal with that. Okay. Um, and then also you have Brandon Drury later on as a flexible option as well. But before that, you get Tristan McKenzie in the ninth round. What drew you to Tristan? Well, you know, using your strategy, I need a third guy who's always going to be on my team. Yeah. Right. And we're, we're sort of in a part of the draft where, you know, you're not just getting like good pitchers. Now they all have, you know, maybe a few, a few warts on them, not bad ones, but just, you know, do I want this versus that McKenzie was just another dependable pitcher, uh, in a group of guys who I, I didn't know who to pick. I didn't know who to trust. And I felt like I trusted Tristan McKenzie more than the other options that were there right that second. Yeah, he had not, a, about three, exciting. three earned run average. You're right. Who says that? Uh, for Tristan McKenzie, 0.95 whip, 191 innings, 26% K rate, 6% walk rate this past year. His 14% swing strike rate was 27th in the majors. I have him ranked at 28th. And I still am conflicted. I'm so conflicted about Tristan McKenzie. When he was cooking, his curveball landed down in the zone, 23% swing strike rate on it. And his four-seamer was able to get in the zone without getting destroyed. I think his four-seamer can be excellent. Like a really amazing pitch. I just worry about his overall command. 33% hard contact rate on the pitch isn't great for Tristan McKenzie. The slider is also so inconsistent. Um, only a 14% swing strike rate, but the, the movement on it should suggest otherwise. He had higher marks in previous years. There were some starts where it just he had no idea where that pitch was going to go. And did not limit hard contact on the pitch whatsoever. The curveball really is that savior. So I don't, I just don't know if Tristan McKenzie is going to be able to go on the same run that he did this year. Uh, I feel he got that 297 mark and everyone's so happy about that. And I understand. I, I do feel that he had some, you know, he just didn't have that bad period. He was able to avoid it to bring it back down that every pitcher kind of goes through. You need like three starts and that's it. It ruins your ERA from a three to like a three, six or something. Um, and I, I feel this is very much the peak of Tristan McKenzie. That said, if he's able to fill out some more and generally filling out getting stronger, means more stability um, with your mechanics, which means repeatability. Um, and maybe he can do that. Maybe he can then be consistent and find the release point always of the slider and make that a better pitch and then have his fastball not look like it's just a shotgun um, uh, for locations. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what we get from Tristan McKenzie. He certainly has a ceiling uh, that is incredibly tantalizing over 200 strikeouts and 200 innings with good ratios, especially with that walk rate going down to just 6%. Yeah, I hope this one works out for you. 
Yeah, the strikeouts were key. I, I didn't. I was a little worried about strikeouts, and I felt like McKenzie also gave me a nice strikeout ceiling without getting rid of my floor that I tried so hard to build. Right. I mean, of the players available, I mean, he's clearly the one for me. Lodolo, Green, Lynn, Kirby, Webb, Gilbert. It just, yeah, there's no... It's it's clearly McKenzie at this point. If I can always get Tristan McKenzie in the ninth round, I would be thrilled about it. Seal of approval. Good job. Uh, Stephen Kwan. 10th round here. It's kind of the same idea you're going for with uh, Jimenez, no? A little bit. So first, I think there's a lot more power in Stephen Kwan's bat than we saw. We see Mm. him hit a lot more home runs right at the end of the season. This guy has one of the best hit tools in the major leagues. You don't hear about it as much because he's like a hit tool only guy. But if there's one, you know, power is obviously the stat you look at, see how many guys are going to hit, you know, how many home runs you're going to hit. But if there's a second stat that kind of suggests what, kind of home run power a guy could have or what his upside could be, it's the hit tool, right? Because Ichiro used to talk about this where home runs isn't just about power. It's a lot about timing and where like, and bat control, right? Swing Mm. the bat at the right time at the right pitch. And you have a much better chance at a home run because a lot of that power is coming from like, it's coming from turning around that pitch that you got. Right. So Quan is fantastic at controlling the strike zone. He's never going to strike out in a points league. This would be way too late. Right. This guy makes contact every time. I think that he's going to score a ton of runs. He's the one that's at the top of that Guardians lineup. He's going to score a ton of runs. I think there's more power there. He definitely can steal bases. Right. And I've got I've probably got all the stolen bases I really need. I'm going to get a couple more later, but I've got all the ones I really need between (laughs) Quan and Otani and Betts and Jimenez. Right. I've built a nice little core of stolen bases from week to week. I'm not relying on one guy to do it. I've got a couple guys. I can get some more steals later, but I don't need them, right? He gets to be my second or third outfield. And again, he's going to make that, again, later in the draft is when it's hard to find batting average that comes with any other kind of positive. And I've now created a really nice batting average floor as well. So I can take shots on these. I mean, one, it helps balance things like Adelise Garcia, right? Who could have a lower batting average, but it doesn't matter because I paired him with Steven Kwan, right? Those kinds of things. It was a lot of team construction. And also I just really love what we saw from Stephen Kwan, particularly towards the end of the season. Now, I do need to mention, I have to say this, his hard contact was 342nd among all hitters at just 16%. That is awfully low, Scott. That it is, sure that is, is but low. Yeah, it is. And, you know, when I say he's got more power, I'm talking like 10 to 15 home run power. Uh, which is definitely doable. You know, that hard hit rate, uh, he's the type of player that, you know, when he hits a home run, it's not going to happen a ton. He's mostly going to make more slappy kind of contact, but that's fine because the other things I want from him are runs scored and stolen bases, a whole bunch of them and batting average. And he can get all of that. And then once in a while, he will find a pitch to turn on, which he did more as he continued to adjust to major league pitching. And I think we're going to get just a little bit more of that next year to that 10 to 15 range. It's going to feel a lot like Whit Merrifield. Hmm. Okay. So, all right. That's interesting. I hope the, the good Whitmerfield does. Yes. Not not this year's iteration, uh, or at least the the Kansas City version. Um, we're going to move on to your next round, eleventh round. You got Ryan Presley, the closer for the Astros. Thirty three saves this year. Three ERA. 0.89 WHIP. Still had that amazing strikeout rate. Twelfth best among all relievers at thirty six percent. You feel like you got a steal here, don't you? 
Yeah, I sure do. He struggled for a little bit at one point in the season. I want to say it was just a couple weeks to a month, and it was like a little bit of injury and things like that. So they had Rafael Montero, I think, saving some games for him. And I think that distorted people's uh, perception of reality because Ryan Presley is still one of the best closers in baseball. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we've been seeing it in the playoffs. He's absolutely shut down. That, that curveball that he spins is just fantastic. I like everything he does. And he's on a team that wins a whole bunch of games, right? Like they're sort of the Dodgers of the American League in a way. Yeah, we like, know. We know. <laughs> so, so like, I kind of want their closer, right? <laughs> like that, that's the closer I want, right? Like I don't, I don't do this closer. I'm no Rick Graham, but I think I want the locked in closer for one of baseball's best teams. And that was the thought process there. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty straightforward here. I, it's a seal of approval. Ryan Presley's great. He's going to be the closer again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's great to get that a steady closer like that in the 11th round is amazing. And I'm incredibly jealous of it. I will say, we had Presley in the 11th, Felix in the 12th, and Devin Williams later on in the 12th, or actually earlier in the 12th. And those are three excellent closers uh, that you can get later in the draft. I sh- personally, I mean, I went on my starting pitcher rant maybe a little too early. I think with Chris Sale, I would have loved to have gotten Chris Sale than maybe Clay Holmes or something. I'm sorry. Instead of Chris Sale going for Felix Batista and just being done with this. I I wonder how this is going to shape out. I do not expect Presley Williams Bautista to be going this late uh, in March. Um, but, uh, so another another seal of approval there for that one. Uh, Lance McCullers Jr. Now twenty in twenty twenty two we had a two point two seven ERA, but a one two four WHIP, twenty six percent K rate, only forty seven point two innings. What are you expecting from Lance McCullers? I don't want to expect too much because I don't want to set myself up for that kind of heartbreak, right? Like, uh, I've got twins coming. I don't need that kind of negativity in my life, right? But what I do know is that Lance <laughs> McCullers yeah, you have, is one of the- By the way, sorry to interrupt. Twins are coming for Scott Chu, and we couldn't be more excited about it. So yeah, I'm, actually, all I'm a twin myself, so I have some taste. Tweet of at the- Scott. Where can you find him on Twitter? Tweet at him and congratulate him on his twins. Yeah, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. But uh, what I will say about Lance McCullers is that he's the type of player I love that I love that he plays for the Astros because that means he gets to pitch in the playoffs. And that means I get to see more of him because he didn't really rejoin the team till later in the season. Right. Mm. That's I want to see even just two more starts. And what did I see? I saw two more starts of fantastic pitching. Right. Plenty. It's only, you know, he got 11 innings over those two starts, uh, 2.45 ERA so far in the playoffs, striking out more than a guy in inning. That's what I want to see. And he's not walking quite so many. I think some of that comes back. I mean, he always is going to walk some guys, right? That's just part of what he does, uh, especially mm-hmm. with that curveball. And one of the things with Lance McCullers, I'm sorry for you Yankee fans. Uh, I never will forget those like 22 or 23 straight curveballs he threw. Oh, yeah. That to was the Yankees wonderful. in the playoffs. Yeah. Because that, like to me, what I love about McCullers is like he's got that kind of pitch where he could basically have just said, it's another curveball. And it wouldn't yeah, matter. put up fingers like Zach Greinke. Yeah. It's like, this is what's coming. He did it like tw- in the playoffs. He did it like 22 times yeah, in a row. it was a wonderful time. Uh, now, Lance McCullers, biggest question is injury. Uh, he's not survived for a long season for, uh, for a while. It was 162 innings in 2021. I um, mean, he did technically go, you know, 11 starts in 2020. Felt like he was kind of past it. But then it returned again here in 2022 with the elbow question, which is, oh, you never want to hear that. Whip is always an issue. Uh, 122 in 2021, 124 in 2022. Obviously, he had the Tommy John in 2019, but it was still above 115 in both 2018 and 2020. 
I think that isn't going to go away and it makes it so you don't get a long start um, from Lance McCullers. This year was better six innings per game. So was last year. It just makes it difficult to um, uh, start to start. It's just weird. Like, do I like this whip? Is it okay? Am I all right with this? And keep in mind, if he does throw a lot of innings and he holds that whip, it does hurt you more because it's a 124 whip and that brings you down uh, for more innings. I I feel like Lance McCullers is never going to actually take off in the way that you want him to. In a given night, he throws either curveballs or sliders based on whichever one's working. Fastball is still a liability um, in that repertoire. Uh, 34% hard contact this year, previous year, 36%, 36%, so 37% 2021. I, I just feel like he's a little bit more of a headache than I want to admit. He's good, though. Like I, I think he's going to help more than hurt. And I'm looking at the other rosterable arms at this point. I mean, I took Chris Sale. There's Jeffrey Springs, who's kind of interesting. There's there's a warts with everybody. Lance McCullers is the one to go for here. Um, I don't. I think you're going to see him get pushed up past the 12th round. Um, is what pretty much I'm getting at. And I, I just be careful of that whip. Don't overlook that 11% walk rate. I don't really think it's going to get so much better. Yeah, I actually took a play right out of the Nick Pollock playbook. If you if you read the list and talk about his, look at his draft strategy. Uh, it's a lot about get that solid foundation early, which I tried to do, right? You can argue about how successful I was, but it's Urias, it's, uh, it's McKenzie and it's Manoa. And then I don't, yeah, I didn't take a lot of pitchers early. So I'm sort of behind the eight ball here uh, on pitching. So I start taking some shots. Lance McCullough is just the first one, but yeah. there's a lot of risky arms. But that's because, again, I, I agree with this notion of like, don't draft a bunch of boring arms at this point in the draft. Get the yeah. exciting ones and burn and churn, at, you know, as needed. As long as a couple of these hit, I've got a real good rotation. And, of course, opening yourself up for options in April and May. Uh, We're going to move on to Brandon Drury now, uh, who had 87 runs, 28 home runs, 87 RBI, if you can believe it. All inside the top 32 of all hitters in the majors. Uh, Two stolen bases, 263 average. He played at multiple positions. How do you feel about Brandon Drury? I mean, this is an insane season that we saw. He just kind of came out of nowhere, but I watched a lot of him. He made really good swing decisions, and maybe this does stick. And that's what he is, right? Like, the the power surprised me a lot. Uh, and, you know, it, he's, he just can't, you know, he's one of these classic, like, older guy coming off a career year, used to be a journeyman. What do you do with that, Right. But first, I needed a third baseman. I need somebody third base eligible. He is uh, he is it, right? He had 67 games at third base. He actually can play. He can show up for you at first, second or third. Uh, Not unlike his teammate, Jake Cronenworth. He plays the infield on the bases. Uh, He had good plate discipline. Again, he did fizzle out when he went to the Padres, as did Juan Soto. I don't know what the heck was going on over there uh, with, with that. Nobody does. But I don't necessarily need him to be a star. I need him to have, you know, if he can even just get to like low to mid 20s power, uh, decent batting average, I need a third baseman and they're all gone. Right. And I, I can't wait for someone to take him to play another position. I yeah, do take it, another third baseman later with a little bit of upside, but like that is not who I, 
the guy we will talk about later is not the one I want to just slot in at third base. And go. no, it's not. Absolutely not. Uh, Brandon Drury is, is fun. Uh, you might find yourself trying to find a new third baseman through the year. I, uh, but uh, yeah, I, th- I mean, I remember watching it early in the season. When I think when he had nine home runs or something early, I was like, yeah, I think this is kind of real. Um, and I was able to snatch him up in at least one league, if not two. I, uh, but we'll see if this sticks. I mean, I feel like the counting stats around 90 each are just, whoa, hold on. Let's slow down here. Um, hopefully he does get over the 20 home run power again. But he looked good. Just stay on the field and maybe this can be repeated. I like going after him in general. 13th round, is that where he's going to settle? I don't know. Um, but honestly, with what he just did, it feels about right. 14th round, I really like this one. It's Lucas Giolito. And I, I know my thoughts on him, but what are yours? Had to shoot my shot, Nick. <laughs> I, I need I need pitchers. I needs one. I need ones with upside because I've I've already got a floor that I want to run with. The guy was up and down all year. Again, part of doing the first pitch podcast is like going through a lot of it is like I two two of my shows for a lot of the year were five days apart. I did a lot of Lucas Giolito, a lot of following that inconsistency. And look, when he was on, there there were days you were like, oh, that's Lucas Giolito. Right. And then there were other days like, who is this guy? He can't can't he can't do anything that he's trying to do. Whatever it is he's trying to do, he's not doing it. So uh, I'm willing to take a chance. He he still pitched all year. It's not like he got hurt. Right. Yeah. The ERA would have killed you. It was four point nine. But he still struck guys out. Uh, I There's something you know, there's something here. And if there's not, I'll let him go. No, he needs a reset. Uh, Lucas Giolito's velocity. Oh, boy. It, it fell. It, it, it was a struggle. I remember watching games when he was just at 90, 91, and I'm just thinking, what is this? This is just not Lucas Giolito whatsoever. I I think that uh, I believe there's a quote, and I got to find it because I don't want to spread rumors or anything, but I'm pretty sure I saw something about Lucas Giolito being hurt in April and just enduring it, and it just messed up his entire season. I feel like the, he's still the same 3-4, 3-5 ERA guy that you know. He just had a really bad... Something was hampering him. He just needs to reset it. He'll be fine. He's not a 144 whip, 4-9 guy. We know this. You know, he's closer to that 26% strikeout rate guy. He still had a 25% this year. His Super 9 is not going to be 9.5. He's going to be better than this. How much better? I don't know. Look, if Lucas Giolito is sitting... Not hitting, sitting, 93-94 in the spring. I cannot tell you how many times you'll hear me say, go get Lucas Giolito. Uh, it will be just everywhere. And to see him in the, in the 14th round, that's great. But maybe he is sitting 91-92 in the spring. And that is going to be painful. I think he's very, very dependent on this. And it's going to see a big swing back and forth. If you're talking about, all right, guys, shoot my shot. Yeah, I would take 14th round Lucas Giolito all day. All the time I would do that. I, I kind of regret, like I look back at this, I'm like, okay, I would much rather get Felix Bautista instead of Chris Sale and then get Giolito instead of Clay Holmes in the 13th round. That's what I would probably have done personally. I'm jealous that you got Lucas Giolito. I don't know if it's a seal of approval because I think he belongs here. But he is someone that I think everybody should be going for instead of your Tyler Malley, instead of your Jordan Montgomery, instead of your Luis Garcia, who went later in this one. But Dustin May, Jack Flaherty, same kind of hope. Frankie Montes is going to be a little bit more of a, a I think, a head scratcher for you. 
Um, it's more clear cuts with Lucas Giolito, and you should be valuing that. Uh, Jeremy Pena, 15th round. This is the uh, the other target you said that you were mentioning, wasn't it? It sure is. Love Jeremy Pena. So the first thing to remember is that Jeremy Pena went through growing pains. This was his first year in the league. He started out hot. A lot of people remember that. He got dropped in a ton of leagues. <clears throat> Jeremy Pena got dropped because in the summer, he was not there. He really mm. struggled. But what I liked about the struggles, and I talked about this on the Hacks and Jacks podcast, so I won't go too deep, but basically when he struggled, it's not like he cratered. The quality of contact cratered, but he wasn't striking out. He didn't start expanding the zone. He didn't do those things. That's what I want to see in a young hitter. And what are we seeing in the playoffs? And actually we started seeing in late August and in September, we see him make that adjustment. Now, no adjustment is permanent, especially as a hitter. What's hard about being a hitter versus a pitcher, uh, it, sort of the difference in the way we have to analyze is I need hitters to be reactionary, right? They don't get to pick the pitch, right? It just comes. They have to be able to react to it. So they make a lot of adjustments. Pitchers started to attack them new ways. They have to adjust. I thought he handled that well. Sure. The stats were ugly, but this is a rookie, right? This is a guy who's going to be hitting second for these Astros. Probably uh, he's going to be right at the top of that lineup. He made tons of contact. He steals some bases. He's got some power. Even if he's only as good as he was last season. And let's remember he basically lost two months on that slump. He's still like a top 12 shortstop the way he finishes. Right. So absolutely if if i know that he can he can stink for two months and be a top 12 shortstop this this is the point in the draft where it's like that's a freebie i gotta take him yeah he doesn't walk at all uh four percent walk rate 24 percent carry what we generally see is walk rate go up goes up the longer you're in the league uh and maybe that does help him out and gets him more comfortable and swinging at better pitches hard contact was just was 199th in the majors um I think Pena's situation is great. You know, the Astros clearly going to say, Look, you're our starting shortstop for a very good uh, Astros lineup. He batted second a good amount of the time. He was up there. I mean, yes, in the middle of the year, he was sixth, seventh, and But by the end of the year, he's batting second in that lineup. And that's going to do wonders for his counting stats. It's possible he can hold on to that 20 plus home run talent, 253 average. Maybe that does get better. I am assuming some growth as opposed to full regression. Um, for the future, uh, yeah, he's gonna be 25 for pretty much all of next year. Jeremy Pena, yeah, I mean, I'm 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 absolutely cool with this as a backup shortstop option. I mean, it kind of showcases how deep shortstop is. Uh, with the mob Rosario going before this, Aldoberto Mondesi and Nico Horner going after his shortstop options. Uh, so good stuff here. I mean, these are like seal of approvals, but they're not, but they are. It's good. Well. You know, and, and the other thing about shortstop, especially in a Yahoo style league where you're not required to roster a middle infield spot, uh, you're going to see certain players slip on those positions. Shortstop will be one where there's going to be this really nice last shortstop taken to be a starter, right? It would have been Jeremy Pena if I move my team around a little bit, but like he'd be fine as a starter. You're not going to lose your league because you have Jeremy Pena as your shortstop. In fact, I think you could do quite well because he could, again, progress from what we saw last year or at least be that good. And it, it's just a feature of the way Yahoo leagues go, right? Just because you only need one at each position except for outfield. Right, right. Yeah, it's... um. So Jeremy Pena is someone I will be circling, just be like, all right, if I need something, there you go. Ever Cabrera is your next one. 16th round, like, ah, I love this one. But I also don't know what we're going to get from Edward Cabrera. What do you like here? 
I'll tell you one thing we're going to get, and that's some sweet gifts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this stuff is just so electric. And that was actually what was on my mind. In fact, I remember writing it down. I don't take a ton of notes during the draft. I try to prep like afterwards. And because mm-hmm. like in the draft, I'm going to try to justify myself. And I was like, I remember very distinctly thinking like, I had like three different gifts, like going through my head of him throwing these pitch pitches that were silly, right? That would be like, if I got my video game character and cranked his like slider all the way up, that's what it would look like. Right. I mean, I mean, the velocity was there. He he has it. He has those. And again, if he can stay healthy, if he can, you know, do a lot of things, but again, I'm trying to shoot my shot here. I'm trying to find those guys that could be my third or fourth best pitcher. And Edward Cabrera could be that. And if he's not, I'm going to be able to let it go because this is what, the the 16th round? I mean, yeah, Edward Cabrera, if he has a spot in the Miami rotation out of the gate, which it feels like he should, it's a fun gamble to take. Three ERA, 107 whip, 26% K rate, but an 11% walk rate. Um, This past year, 20% hard contact rate. It was only across 71 innings and change, but that's seventh best among all starting pitchers, which is really good to see. Um, and he throws hard, 96 on the fastball. Uh, changeup was his primary offering at 33%. Usage, 44% O-swing on it is great. Limited, lots of hard contact. He's thrown this pitch at 92.5, which is just absurd. Um, I, I think my biggest question is, what is his command of this stuff? Uh, the curveball is... Uh, he, he sometimes was able to make that his major thing later on in the season. He was able to get a 68% strike rate overall, but there were some tough starts where it's just like not there. Fastball had just a 50% strike rate. That That's absurdly low. The league average for strike rate on a four-seamer is 65%. That's my kind of rule for this is like you need to have a fastball that's above 60%, usually 65% or higher. Spencer Strider stuff, yeah, like 67 to to 70% on his four-seamer. 50%, he only throws a 21% of the time, Nick, because you said the changeup is the main one. Right, that was a 65% strike rate. I I worry that Edward Cabrera is too volatile for your leagues. Uh, that if you'll have him, you'll be really excited about it, then get a dud right out of the gate, and then you'll not know what to do. That's fine. 16th round, great. That's a really fun one to go and chase. As far as my expectations for the full season, of Edward Cabrera, I would be surprised if he really went out there and soared on the same level of that three ERA and 107 whip for the full year. I think there's too many inhibitions with his command to get there. That said, he's fun. I probably would take Mackenzie Gore instead. I think Mackenzie Gore is a more finished product and will have the opportunities we know than Edward Cabrera. But who knows? The Marlins always like they just get better every year, <laughs> except for Trevor bet, I mean, Rogers. You know, if I have to bet on a team improving their pitching staff over the offseason, there's two of them I will always take. It's always the San Francisco Giants and the Miami nah, Marlins. The first one I thought of was the Giants. I mean, you could say also <laughs> something about the Dodgers. Um, that's what everyone was thinking about with Andrew Heaney. That came true. Um, Astros as well. Um, but yeah, it's yeah interesting point i hope it works out for you with edward cabrera any last thoughts on him i'm no again he's just if you get a chance to watch him even if he gets lit up there will be some pitches where you're like ooh, ooh, yeah <laughs> oh he'll just, man he'll he, he doesn't necessarily know where it's going but he'll i mean that you'll watch it and be like you can't hit that 
That's unhittable. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I just uh, love that about him. <laughs> so we have seven to go, and it is really important. Draft pitchers that you want to watch. It's so much better that you, you, you're you excited that this guy is going to pitch on a day and you want to watch and see how he performs. Don't get like a, a, a boring guy you don't actually enjoy watching. It's not nearly as fun. Um, but you hinted at this one as well. This is your backup third baseman, Josh Young. Uh, I believe I did that correctly. Uh, tell me if I did. I'm pretty sure. Okay, no yelled at me for saying it that way. And if oh, and if no. that's not the way, please yell at me so I fix it. I am I I'm so sorry, everybody. I, I I know I should have this in front of me, and I don't, and I apologize. Josh, though, is a budding prospect. We we're talking about him this time last year, and then of course he had a shoulder uh, injury early in the season. So why are you drafting Josh here in the 17th round? So first of all, you couldn't actually get him this late last year. Right? Oh yeah. Right. Right. Earlier before he got hurt. Uh, and that's because he was just killing it as a prospect. He was doing everything you want him to do. He was coming off a year in 2021 where he had hit over 300 in double a and triple a. There's a lot of power here. There's a plus hit tool. There's plus power. Uh, he's definitely more than good enough uh, as a fielder to be their everyday third baseman. I think uh, really it's a matter of after he came back last year, I think, I think the timing must have been off because he was not walking and he was striking out a lot more than usual right now. We didn't see a huge sample, right? He only plays in like 31 games last season and he does, you know, he does get promoted. And while he does hit five home runs, steals two bases, he hits 204 with like a 38% strikeout rate. That to me is more of, him coming back from missing a lot of, you know, missing time with injury, right? I think that there's a lot of upside here. He could absolutely be a, uh, I, I think he could actually finish as a top 10 third baseman next year. Oh, if wow. he reaches the, I mean, the pedigree he has and the way we thought about him even coming into 2022 was absolutely that level of talent, right? I've seen early projections from people I very much respect that put him in the top 10 at third base. Right. Is it a little rosy. Sure. But um, I mean, it's it's really, really good. I'd tell you who it was, but, you know, I don't want to make it so you don't pay for their product. Uh, they just released it recently. Uh, he's you know, the, the guy who does it has won a lot of leagues. And <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's uh, like that to me is another. I mean, I hadn't seen these projections before I, I drafted and it just made me feel a lot better because, again, there's a lot of power here. I think there's I mean, way better batting average than what you saw. When you see those 2022 numbers, maybe look at the 2022 AAA where he hit 273. But even then, he is not going to strike out 28% of the time. In AAA, he's not going to strike out 38% of the time in the majors. That's going to probably be more like 25%. Very amenable. And he should walk average or above average. And that should come with like 25 plus home run power. If he plays all year, if he's healthy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I trust all of you here. Uh, it is Josh Young, by the way. Um, I know nothing about him, but I, like, I believe it's opportunity. And for someone being a massively hyped prospect before this year, what the heck, right? Go after this. 17th round, seal of approval. I think this is fantastic. I don't think you're going to find a single other hitter this late that is this interesting out of the gate. And you just let him go. He's a backup. He's your bench hitter. It's fine. Uh, so we're going to talk now about your... Run of four pitchers and then two guys after that as you needed to get a catcher at the end. And you got one more reliever just in case after Presley and, Hel- and Helsley. The pair of Ryans there. Uh, Ross Stripling, Tarek Skubel, Jameson Tyone, and Jose Barrios. So we'll start with Ross Stripling in the 18th round. What's up with Ross Stripling? 
So this is more of a safer play, I think, than like the Giolito and the Edward Cabrera. You actually see in this little thing, I'm kind of like, I'm trying to take on risk. I'm trying to add some guys because like in the first couple of weeks, I do need a full rotation, right? Like I can't have everybody just be guys like, oh, I might cut them, right? Some of them I have to keep for at least a little. Ross Stripling is one of those two. Uh, he He's good enough when he pitches, right? I mean, he was, if he was available as streamer of the day, Right. I'm imagining you would have tried to take him almost every time unless he oh, was like I did a decent amount. Stripling was the stream pick of the day for the middle part of the season until he got picked up. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, literally, that's what I'm after. I know that this is a good, not great pitcher. I'm not sitting here and be like, oh, there's an upside because I see something in some pitch. No, I just I've seen him enough in the major leagues to know that there's a decent pitcher here. And Yahoo leagues particularly, I know I'm talking about this format a lot, but it matters, right? They really, when you play a Yahoo league, your bench is not hitters, right? Maybe one hitter on your bench. The rest is all pitching, right? Grab them, grab as many as you can get, right? Grab upside, grab whatever it is you need. Ross Stripling was something I kind of needed and it was too early to take the next guy. And then I lost my patience. Yeah, I don't know. There's, there's, There's a couple things to think about. One, Stripling is now a free agent. Um, and I wonder where you're going to see him land. Um, second, you see the 102 whip, 22nd best in all major leaguers. I don't think that's going to stick. Four uh, percent uh, walk rate was fourth best among all major leaguers. I don't think that's going to stick. I, I mean, obviously those are entwined. Uh, if you only walk four percent of guys, it's a good chance that you don't. <laughs> that's that's the W of whip. Um, so. I feel as if you could have, I don't know, there's Marcus Stroman later in the draft, higher whip chance, but ERA stuff. Um, There are safe starters that won't get drafted. If you're looking for something the first week, I think you'll be able to find it um, if you need to. I I, I mean, I personally would have taken your next guy before Stripling. I I understand your point. I'd say Taiwan Walker might have been a more safer one, maybe Tyler Anderson than Stripling. I'm not as much of a believer... In what Stripling is selling. The changeup I know is very good. 21% hard contact rate, 22% swing strike rate, 70% strike rate overall is amazing. 50% um, O swing this year. It, it really came together. Um, curveball and slider, neither of them broke a 10% swing strike rate, if you can believe it. I I just, I have my hesitations about Ross Stripling. I don't think he's that great. Just a twenty-one percent, eight percent. I don't draft Tobies is my mentality. I think that yeah. stripping ultimately is a Toby, despite the ERA and WHIP that went well this year. Um, going to the next one though, I mean, how could, you couldn't leave this draft without Tarek Skubal? Absolutely not. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you know me at all, you know I love Tarek Skubal. You don't need to know anything else about me. I'll make it my personality. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> you know, Skubal. Um, you know, friend friend of the podcast, Tarek Skubal. Uh, friend of the friend of the site, but he's he's the one thing about him that drives me bonkers is there's really two kinds of ways that pitchers lose their command. There's the uh, there's the guys that can't find the zone at all when they lose their command and everything's like in the dirt or way outside. Or there's Tarek Skubal and guys like him. Or when he loses his command, it's middle middle every time, right? He loses command of those, especially the secondary stuff. And it turns into a middle, middle slider or a middle, middle, like something off speed. And it gets sent a long, long way from, uh, from the home plate. So 
that's my issue. And again, he, he does have an issue. He does not, he's not having Tommy John or anything. He is having a procedure done on his elbow. We expect him back in the summer, but I mean, the upside for Scooble is really what I'm after. He's never going to be a guy. I think he might never throw a complete game, right? I'm, I'm willing to accept that about Terry. Scooble sure. is not that efficient, uh, the stuff coming off his left arm, I, when it's on, it's really easy to see why he goes on these stretches of like a month or two where he's a two ERA guy striking out everybody on the planet. I want to say if, like there's been, you know, two or three months periods where he's like one of the best pitchers in baseball. And one of the reasons for that is because when he is finding his command, which again, command is the hardest thing to get a feel for players lose it, it comes and go all the time. It's like the story of Nick Pavetta's career, right? We talk <laughs> about Nick Pavetta because sometimes he has command. Right. That's a hit. Uh, so I'm not trying to compare Tarek Skubal to Nick Pavetta. But what I am trying to say is a, a guy like him who, uh, again, most leagues, you have uh, an IL spot that won't have any pressure on it right away. This is a guy you could take, maybe hold on to him for a month or two, especially if you have like an unlimited IL or you have a lot of IL spots. You grab him, you take him because when he comes up uh, again, it's not a Tommy John thing where you're worried about the command not coming back for a full year. Right. Uh, it was I forget exactly what it is that he had, but. It is fixed. He should be back in the summer. He should be able to be electric. And you probably start out by picking your spots, but I just think the upside on Scooble is something I was more than willing to invest in at this point. And I didn't think I could wait any longer before someone else took him and I would have cried. Yeah. So the I uh, for Tarek Scooble, according to MLB trade rumors, it was a flexor tendon repair in his forearm. Uh, not Tommy John. It was a repair of his flexor tendon. Right. Um yeah, Tarek is. I feel like Tarek never quite found his groove. Even though he had a nice stretch, it just didn't feel consistent each start. He did it in different ways. And I never know how to translate that as, oh, a guy has different ways to succeed, a.k.a. like Taiwan Walker's splitters today or sliders today or maybe his fastball's working. Or does that mean that he's going to, in the future, be good to go because he has all these different options of success? Or does that mean that he's so inconsistent thus it's going to fall apart what happens when none of those are there right um and i think that kind of still is the case with Tarek. i think there is ultimately you know i remember after 2021 everyone's saying oh my god his four seamer is such a bad pitch it's been rated so so negatively and all these things right because his other stuff wasn't good enough and his slider did get better his changeup did get better um and that made his four seamer have better results back from a 300 batting average allowed down to 257 on the four seamer as I think the slider usage went up and it made just things a little bit better for that, for that heater. I think the sinker is just should not be around. I don't think he uses a sinker nearly as it should, which should just be arm side uh, batters inside and jamming them. Or if you want to do a backdoor fine, but I uh, don't do that. Um, yeah. It's uh, I, I feel like Tarek still has too much to fix. Um, I hope he does. He could come out, with guns blazing is the thing and i'm okay with this pick because of that like you could just see opening day oh all of a sudden he's throwing 95 96 instead of 94 or something like oh man this is going to be like the stud year for Tarek scoople right um so it's worth the pick because he has a foundation that if everything clicks it will be great i don't have much faith in Tarek scuba personally that it will i think it'll be a little bit of a hipster a headache-inducing starting pitcher that stifles the entire roster. Um, so I'm I don't know, but 19th round, I mean, like, yeah, totally. He's 77th on my list. Like that's yeah. In a league like this, 
starting with about pick 16 or 17, like 16, 17 around, there's not bad picks unless that guy's not going to play. Right. Right. Sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As I pick Kenta Maeda, um, we'll see if he actually is ready to go. Um, and Sixto Sanchez in the third, 23rd round. Um, Jameson Tyone is a Toby though. Yeah. And he he's is. a free That's agent. Fine. We don't have to talk about this. Um, <laughs> I think, no, I think in your 15 teamers, you should be really happy with Jameson Tyone. You should look at the win total and realize that it's a product of the Yankees a bit. I don't think the Yankees are going to resign Jameson Tyone. 391 ERA, 113 whip. That's a 21% strikeout rate, 20 to 21. He did get better at putting his slider down and arms, uh, glove side by the end of the year. Um, I know firsthand that was a focus of his um, to do that. Um, he did see some success with it and was better with that overall. Still, even with his improved locations of it, it was still just a 14% swing strike rate overall. Um, I don't think that that it's, I don't know. It, it's it's good for 15 teamers, but not in a 12 team. I think you need more from that spot. And Jose Barrios, though, uh, great undulator. 523 ERA, 142 whip. Does not matter, guys. Why did you pick Jose Barrios? Honestly, because he's the great undulator, I, what he is going to give me, no matter what happens, if I if I need it, and hopefully I don't only need this, but he will pitch. He's going to pitch all mm. year. The guy's under contract till like like the year three thousand. I think it's actually like it, it's twenty twenty nine. But he's under contract for a long time. He's under contract for a long time on a good team, and he's a guy who up until this season, while he was the great undulator up and down, it never looked like this. This five point two three ERA. I think a, a lot. I at least recognize this as the the absolute floor, right? right. He, he should pitch more than enough to get over this. And we we saw it at times. We saw these little like spurts of regular Jose Barrios who was like inconsistent, but not like cr- soul crushing. Uh, I'm at the end of my draft. I need a, I need a pitcher. I need a guy who could, I mean, this is a weird, like boring guy who could have upside just based on what we've seen before, right? If he comes out and is like a, you know, even his 2020, I mean, his 2021 version was pretty good, but it was like a three and a half ERA. Even if he's like a three, eight ERA guy, uh, when he's on, he does strike off, strike out enough pitchers to be, or strike out enough batters to be useful. I'll take it right again. I, we're throwing darts at this point in the draft and I don't want to take my catcher yet. Cause it's my last pick now. Oh man. So with Jose Barrios, I think it might shock a lot of people to know I, he had more beneficial starts than harmful starts. It's just that the, the harmful were just starts, so bad. <laughs> they yeah, were so eight bad. runs, six hundred runs, six hundred runs, five hundred runs, six hundred runs, five hundred runs. Um, he had two games. Barrios did of thirteen strikeouts. If you can believe that, his end of year total was just one hundred forty nine. Though, <laughs> what well, happens when you have too I many mean, starts? A bunch I gotta of say. I feel like my my title of him, the great undulator, is incredibly apropos. Like, yeah, that's it. Um, he is. It's just that the the it was such a pull down. It was more so like he would undulate before, but it wouldn't actually be the big three runs and four and runs, not six, seven, eight, right? I I don't know. It does open the door. For, for more success from Barrios at a discount because of it. Now, if you're going to say, oh, no, his curveball is too low of a swing strike rate, it's always having a low swing strike rate. Can he get strikes with it and allow and prevent the hard contact? That's the question. That went up to 25% instead of the 14 and 20% that we saw in previous years. Four-seamer got absolutely shellacked. 40% hard contact rate. Sinker was worse. 
Uh, his locations were a little bit worse. He didn't jam as many guys, but he still had a 38% O swing on the four seamer. Sorry, on, on the sinker, which is everything you want. Mm, uh, it's it, the possibilities are there. You know, I didn't watch him as much as you, but it just felt like some ra- like some execution problems. Like yeah, he knows he what he's supposed time. to do and yeah. he, like just miss it. And with a guy with his kind of track record, I'm like, man, he's got a whole off season to try to fix that. Right. I don't know what it was that bugged him, but it might not be as much as you think based on the results. So the Toronto Blue Jays to start their season are going against the St. Louis Cardinals for three games and then the Royals for four. Uh, you got to think Manoa Gosman are one, two. Uh, there might be a third in bef- before uh, Barrios. So let's just say that Barrios is the fourth starter next year. Uh, are you starting him against the Royals? There's there's not a lot of people who I'll bench against the Royals. Okay, that what about for the Cardinals? Two then? guys. What are for the Cardinals? Cardinals? If I have to, right? Because he's not going to be starting at the beginning of the week. Right? Yeah. It'll be later so, in the week. So I guess what I'm saying is if you're not uh, this is kind of what I get at. At the end of your draft, either you have on your team pitchers who you are looking at their first start, you're not starting them, you're looking at the first one that you can get really excited about, or guys that you're not excited about, but you have them because it's a good matchup and you need those, right? Those are the pitchers that you actually are leaning on. If Barrios isn't you're not starting the first one. Are you really going to see anything that's going to make you feel differently? No, I, I almost forgot. I'm looking at the draft board. Now I have to remember, this was the round where I wanted to scream at you for taking Spencer Torkelson. Oh, I you right know. Yeah, me. that was fun. I, 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 was, I actually knew what I was doing being right before I was you. Furious. And Tork was still there. I was like, why didn't you allow this? <laughs> I thought I had more time, Nick. Well, it was the 21st round. There's no All bets are off at that point. You already had two first basemen. Well, I needed a util. (laughs) Fair. Fine. Mm -hmm. I should have paid more attention, but still. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and try to defend Brios. I I guess now looking, maybe I would have had a little bit more fun. Uh, Marcus Stroman is probably, you know, looking at the board, how it played out. Marcus Stroman is probably a guy I I could have easily justified instead uh, as someone who I would absolutely start because I don't want to say he's like, matchup resistant but he kind of does the same thing against everybody so i mean his again whip is the issue with stroman miles michaels could repeat what he did um but he would again go against those the jays so maybe not jose quintana david peterson luis patino brian bayo bailey ober is oh that's the guy you should go for there that's gonna be a massive seal of approval there um i would take a chance on what i did like sixto sanchez nathan evaldi instead just because you can make your decision earlier i I'm not saying that Brees is going to be bad. I think he's more of a 15-teamer play. As like, you know what? I just want to see. Maybe yeah. this is this is it. And I'm not necessarily ruling it out for a 12-teamer either. Um, I've been anti-Jose Brios for many years, as people know. This was the year that I was telling everyone, like, well, he's a great undulator. There's nothing different. And then it just kept getting worse. Just funny to me that I was the guy that was more in on Brios. I just wasn't treating him any different. And... I feel weird suggesting that you should want to draft Jose Barrios because I the whole thing has been about my yeah the pain of having Barrios is like you're not gonna feel good having this guy, um, but maybe you will maybe he'll get back to the three five two one oh six and twenty six that he had in twenty twenty one, 
Um, that's the, ERA uh, whip and K percentage. I realize that I do that a lot and I'm sorry. The, the The measurement for success for your third to last pick is a lot different than what you saw from Barrios even going into 22, which was as a part as a major part of your rotation. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, Kyle Finnegan, you got him in the 22nd round. You need another reliever, huh? Well, sometimes, right? So <laughs> when when you're drafting this late, you don't really know how things are going to play out. Now, I felt really, yeah. really good about my my two relievers. I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do with a starter. I still don't need a catcher because no one is drafting two catchers, right? And I already know that I'm taking the catcher I, I kind of wanted anyway. So who do I, you know, who do I take? I take a guy who did close the year uh, as the closer for the Nationals. Are they a good team? Absolutely not. But was he fine? Sure. Right. He gets, you know, he gets 11 saves. He has a three and a half ERA. He's a closer, right? It felt weird to me that, you know, people were taking Daniel Bard way earlier or like, you know, these guys who were iffy on roll or something like that, like a lot earlier, like a Tanner Scott, uh, a, a Pete Fairbanks, who's a good pitcher, but may not close. A lot of these guys, I was like, Kyle Finnegan might just be the full-time closer for them. They don't have a lot of other options and he was good in the role for them. They just don't need to prioritize getting another closer. So I'll take it, right? Like, I mean, he, he's he got, he's good enough. And at this point in the draft, when you're drafting a closer, a lot of times, like, it's either a guy who's going to get saves or a guy who's going to get ratios and, like, maybe not both. And that's fine. And getting saves here is fine, especially if the the, you know, something horrible were to happen to the two lockdown relievers I got much earlier. Yeah, I mean, yeah, why not? Finnegan is your third closer, 22nd round. Love that. He was closing a ton in the final month of the year. Increases fastball to 97 miles per hour this year. Still a little susceptible. 30% hard contact rate on that. Slider, though, was pretty good. 19% swing strike rate. It seems like he's the guy for them. Uh, Yeah, I, I, I like this pick. Why not? I took Matt Brash, and he's not going to close because I'm an idiot. I wanted to get Duran, and I felt really bad about that one, but I... Uh, Last one here, Sean Murphy. You just needed a catcher, and uh, you're happy. Catcher, you got Sean I got Murphy. one that's pretty good. Yeah, um, 67 runs, 18 home runs, 66 RBI, 250 average last year. Do you just expect more of the same? I expect him to be a top ten, uh, like like just inside the top ten catchers. And I got there him really go. late, right? Well, the catch, you know, just just to go on my last little rant here, catcher mm-hmm. is much. Weird to say it, but catchers a lot deeper than it used to be. There are valuable catchers that didn't get drafted. There are guys that you could have started like last year that would have been your catcher that now don't have to be your catcher, right? The top of that position has really gotten deeper with guys like Dalton Varsho, MJ Melendez, Alejandro Kirk, Adley Rutschman. Adley Rutschman. Oh, I Adley love Adley Rutschman. Rutschman. He's, he, I've got him as one of my, like, I'm going to be one of the guys who's just way up on him just because the way he adjusted to major league hitting, the way that he started a little weak and then just kept getting better and better and better. He's to me like a top tier catcher, right? Mm-hmm. But like Sean Murphy is fine, right? He's a, he's a decent starting catcher. He was one of the better catchers this season. Uh, and he's just around because all the other ones got taken first, right? Catcher will definitely be a position in your 12 team leagues where being the last guy is not that big of a deal. And I probably either want to be one of the first people taking a catcher or one of the last. Here are some of the pitch. Uh, sorry, the catchers <laughs> that I uh, were not drafted in this mock draft. Kybert Ruiz, Christian Vasquez, Gary Sanchez, Omar Nevaez, Mike Zunino, Carson Kelly, Lee, Elias Diaz, 
Goddamn Merlina, understandable. Uh, Max Stassi, James McCann, but Joey Bart, Austin Noah. Joey Bart? Uh, Eric Haas, uh, Danny Jansen. There are some interesting names here. Jonah Heim, uh, who was picked up as well in season. Uh, Martin Maldonado, and so on and so forth. Yeah, feels like uh, the top half, I don't know, of catcher like JT Romuto, Rutschman, and and Cal Raleigh, and Kirk, and Will Smith, and uh, Salvador Perez. Wilson Contreras. I mean, there are a lot of really good ones. Um, Travis Darno, maybe you can even say. But then at that point, it's like, yeah, what's the point? Tyler Stevenson might be very interesting. The uh, the bottom, like the weight on catcher seems like the middle tier from previous years. Well, the top tier does. It does feel like I want to get Ali Rutschman in every league I can. I kind of regret that I didn't take him instead of Willie Adamas personally. Um, and then got in your Neil Cruz in the seventh or something like that. But that's just me. Um, but at the end of the day, Scott, here you are, all 23 picks done. On a scale of 1 to 23, how do you feel about your team? I'll give myself like a 16 or 17. I think I needed to do more prep work on pitching because I, I'm i like, you know, we're, we're the perfect foil right now. I just don't I have a great of a feel for pitching, but yeah. I felt really good about hitting, even though I like I jumped early and kind of didn't care because I knew I had value I wanted to get later. Right. Like Absolutely. I don't have to worry about being too early because I can secure myself later. I can't do that with pitching. So I, I got to take, you know, a bunch of points off for that. But otherwise, I feel pretty good. I, I've got I've got position flexibility so that if one guy doesn't work out, I don't have to like I'm not focused on. Oh, I have to get a shortstop. I have like two guys at every position hmm. except for. Yeah, actually, no, I do. I have two players at every position and only one bench hitter. I think one of these years. Scott, you and I will go and do an NFBC together and get some Rick Graham help as well for some relievers. Just see how we do. Just just see how this goes. Um, but I think that's a the worthy worthy assessment. Uh, and that's gonna do it for this edition of On the Corner. On the behalf of Scott Chu, my name is Nick Pollock, and we'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>